All right, the pod is underway here in Florham Park. Bart Scott has made his way back into the studio. Uh, we haven't talked uh, on this platform in a couple weeks. Since then, Joe McKnight was gunned down in a road rage uh, incident. Mm-hmm. And then earlier this week, Conrad Rulin died following a brain aneurysm. Uh, it's been a tough year for our family. Dennis Bird earlier. Dennis Bird, Winston Hill, Curly Johnson, Carrie Blanchard, um, and and the list goes on. And you can talk about Buddy Ryan, yeah, man, former Jets defensive assistant who was on Weave Bank staff as the Green and White captured the Super Bowl championship back in 1968, following the 68 season. January twelfth, nineteen sixty nine, down at the Orange Bowl in Miami. But I just, I just hope we're done for a while. I hope I hope we. This seems to be our year. I just hope we're done for the next twenty, thirty years, man. It's it's been a tough, tough couple of weeks. You know, it it, it brings you face to face with your mortality, uh, because at any point that could be any of us. Brain aneurysm, really no predictor how that happened, why it happened. Joe McKnight tragic road rage incident. That could be any of us. You know, and it, it makes you really appreciate the day, appreciate the ones you love, um, pull them a little closer, tell them you love them, you know, because you just never know, man. It's, I know it sounds cliche, it sounds like, you know, your parents, but it's crazy out here right now. Now you say it's crazy out here right now. With what happened to Joe, what was your immediate reaction? And also, we got to get into that you just – got back from Louisiana. Now you stopped uh, doing something uh, out in the West Coast with your financial literacy program, and we know that, but uh, you were in Louisiana, so you talked to Joe's family, and you were there. Yeah, I was a pallbearer. Well, everyone to, laid Joe to rest. I just wanted to make sure that he had the proper representation as you know, a lot of his teammates or guys that he played with are still playing in the league. You know, I just wanted to make sure, that, you know, as one of the leaders when I was here, that I continued to be a leader all the way to the end to his final resting place for my teammate. Um, so I was able to, you know, me, the Brickershaw Ferguson, Antonio Cromartie, Willie Colon, who I don't even believe played with Joe. Yeah. But but showed his respects and was one of the pallbearers, Lindell White, um, and Mark Sanchez. Mark um, caught a playing state after the, the Sunday night game with the Giants. You know, and that just showed you what type of leader. Not only was he his – uh, quarterback in, in college. He was his quarterback in the pros as well. And that's what it is. It's a brotherhood. And, you know, so many of uh, it's only a, a select few of us that's fortunate enough to make it to this level. Um, and like I said about Conrad, you know, the, the beautiful thing about being a teammate is that you have to leave yourself completely vulnerable. And not a lot of people get to see us totally vulnerable. You know, my mother's never seen, maybe my mother saw me vulnerable. My sisters never saw me 100% vulnerable. My, a lot of my friends never saw me 100% vulnerable. But my teammates have all saw me vulnerable. They've saw me um, uh, emotionally vulnerable, physically vulnerable, pushing through, trying to mentally, you know, tell the body to do what the body, what the mind is telling it can't do. And your teammates are the ones that are, that are there that can help pull you through. And because it's such a small fraternity, it's only so many of us that can understand the pressure, the stress, and all the things that come along with trying to achieve your dream. That's why we're so heavily connected. That's why the bond is so strong, because what could be minute to other people is significant to us. 
And if you try and explain it to people that's not daring to be great or trying to achieve their dream, their childhood dream, they won't understand it. So you don't try to explain it. But we can look at each other and see how each other are feeling. We can kind of know what's going through each other's mind because we've all been there at some particular time. You know, in the best place, the greatest example of that is training camp. Yeah. Because you strip down mentally and physically. And, you know, you have to lean on your guys when you don't have it for them to bring some enough for themselves and some for you too. With all that being said, Joe had this uh, childlike exuberance to him. And within the building, he seemed to always have a smile on his face. He was very well liked by his teammates. You just talked about how you were a pallbearer at his funeral. The pressures these guys, and you were part of the deal here, uh, undergo each and every day sometimes can be enormous. And don't you think early in his career, Joe... On one hand, he was so comfortable with being out of the spotlight, but the spotlight, Probably. he, he, he would... Because of his pedigree, he was one of the um, most highly recruited number one player in the in high school. In the country, out, like Louisiana. Yeah. And then he replaced a legend at USC. Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush, and, you know, come here with the expectations, replacing Leon Washington, they let Leon Washington walk because, you know, they brought him in, and, you know... Early on, I think he struggled a little bit with the expectations, as all young players do, trying to make the adjustment from the from the college ranks to the pros is, is a tough situation. You know, and learning how to take care of your body, learning how to be a professional. But he was learning that, all while battling depression from, you know, uh, Katrina. Yeah. And, you know, he was a young child, a young kid, I believe, in high school when Katrina happened in New Orleans, and he was displaced, and I think he was on a roof for a long time. You know, and he was champion everything that had got got in front of him. He had he had beat, even to still walk around with a smile on his face. And you know, that's what I'm going to remember most. I'm going to remember him coming over my house, you know, rolling my side by sides, not telling me, and me saying, "Man, asking my kids what happened." Oh, uh, Uncle Joe rolled over, <laughs> rolled the rolled the can am over on the side of the house. <laughs> you know, and you know him going on mini bikes and kind of hanging out, jumping in the pool with his son Jaden. You know, his girlfriend at the time, Michelle, coming over, hanging with my wife, barbecuing. You know, he was always there to, to, to be a help. You know, he's one of those guys that if you're having something, he was there early to help you set up. You know, always considerate of what you may need and, and always trying to do his part. Now, you have so many relationships within the National Football League, the media world, just your everyday world of people that you will come in contact with. You have tons of friends. How much have you were able, how much were you able to keep up with Joe over the years? Because obviously at different stops along the way, okay. in his football career, the latest stop was in the Canadian Football yeah, League. Yeah, and, and I knew he was going to Canada. We had communicated uh, via social media. Um, I was fully aware. Joe was, you know, champion things, and I was continuing to try and be that mentor and, you know, at some things, when you have friends, you have to let them process it themselves. Yeah. You know, I, I, I told him what he had to do, had to be more of a professional, he had to understand that, you know, he can get another opportunity, but he, he understood that this time he was going to have to earn it, and it was going to be harder than it was the first time, because once you're out, it's harder to get back in. But he was making all the necessary steps. He, was, he had a tremendous year um, early on in Kansas City before he blew his Achilles out, and that kind of set him back. You know, because he went there to re- replace Dexter McCluster. Yeah. And um, he was doing a great job, and he actually hurt himself. Uh, I think he was on a long run, which is unfortunate. Um, but, you know, 
always were in contact. And we have another buddy that we used to go on vacation. Like me and Joe weren't just like come over the house. We went on vacations by ourselves together. Yeah, just me and him, you know, and, and the fellas and. And, and you know, not just me and him, the only football players there. So it wasn't one of those relationships where we were just here, friends. We were friends like for real. Like no matter where he went, like we that friendship and that bond would never have been broken. Jets Nation wants to know, and you can tell us this right now. How is his family doing? How are his loved ones? I mean, he was a beacon of light for them. You know, he his sister played uh, college ball. His brother played college ball. Um, his mother is deep in her faith. Um, the family was there. They rallied. They made sure that it was a celebration of his life, not a funeral. You know, they had the the, the band, which is traditional um, in New Orleans. I forgot what they call it. Half line is what they call it. And they have the tubas and people were playing when the Saints come marching in. And you know, I think they he had maybe twenty different clergymen that showed up. You know, because he was you know he was. The guy. He was the guy that opened the door for Tyron Matthews, Leonard Fournette, um, a lot of the young guys that went to LSU. Even a guy like Anthony Johnson, who's a defensive lineman here, who the Jets signed off of the Patriots practice squad. He went to LSU, played it in the defensive line. He said, this guy was the dude down there. Everybody wanted to be like Joe. He was a guy that that told the recruiters, that, hey, it's talent down here, something brewing down here. And he opened the door for those guys. You know, Tyron Matthews said the same thing when when I heard some of his remarks about Joe, that people wanted in Louisiana wanted to be like him. You know, they weren't trying to be like anybody else. They were trying to be like, you know, Joe McKnight. And that's just a testament, you know, to him as a football player, but him as a person too. Does it get you mad? Uh, not that, not just that we lost somebody, because we're going to talk about Conrad here in a second, but the way it went down. We don't have all the details, and you probably have a lot more than I do because you were just down there and you've spoken to some people. It's just like no no matter what the circumstance it is behind it, we have to ask ourselves, what's the value of a man's life? Is it worth, is a man's life worth your pride being hurt because of an argument or somebody saying something insulting to you or something derogatory? Is 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 that punishable by death, right? Like, I mean, we have more empathy uh, with the rules of engagement in war than we do for each other. And we're, we're supposed to be fellow Americans. We're supposed to be better than that. We're supposed to be bigger than that. Because at the end of the day, if that, that man that, that pulled the trigger had a, could have sat there and heard the cry and the yell of his son, his eight-year-old son, I think he would have thought twice before he pulled that trigger for something so minute. Um, you have to realize that when you decide to pull a trigger, you decide to uh, take a man's life, that it has a ripple effect, that it just not affected his life and your life, but affects the ones that he loves and it affects the ones that love you. Because yeah. how do they defend that? How do you defend that? How do you justify that? I mean, what's the value of a man's life? Yeah, it's a cliche, uh, quick trigger, but it, it just seems unbelievable to me that uh, if this really stemmed from something on the road. Uh, first, you time, first time seeing each other. You on cannot the road. connect any dots and say, this is an end result. This is where you, you get an end result out of this. Right. And then uh, I know uh, most authorities, no doubt about it, uh, like in any walk of life, I believe that uh, you know, the enforcement officials are going to try to help citizens, just like uh, uh, in any walk of life. 
that I believe most people are good. With that being said, it's tough. I know it was tough those first few days with people wondering the why. It, this guy, the, with the, why. the why, and also this yeah. guy was on the streets for a couple of days. I know the police chief yeah. down there got really uh, upset and things like that, yeah. but, uh, you know. And the fact that this isn't his first incident, that he supposedly had two other incidents. Right. You know, and the fact that, you know, we were so lenient with being able to give people licenses and allow them to get guns, not knowing, you know, truly what their mental capability is, and not knowing that when you give somebody a gun, you're giving them power to take a life. And, you know, that's a powerful responsibility. And not everybody deserves that. And that's why I'm, I'm not a fan of, you know, carry, carry states because what happens is you do something impulsive in the heat of the moment that you can't take back. And you act impulsively because if he didn't have a gun, he would have just probably, or whatever the situation is, maybe insurance would have been, would have been exchanged, uh, maybe a fist to cuff. Yeah. Or maybe somebody would have took somebody's license plate down and called the police on them. Right. That's yeah. very. That's relatively minor. That's what that situation warranted. Yeah. Not somebody pulling a gun out and shooting somebody over a material thing when I'm sure both of them had car insurance. <laughs> Things can be fixed and replaced, but if you take a man's life, you can't. You can't give it back. Yeah, and this is not a political podcast. It's just upsetting for anybody, whether you're a member of the NRA or you're against guns or anything like that. It's just upsetting. The violent crime we have in an industrialized society like the United States and, when you look at the uh, other numbers throughout and, the world. And I'm not even trying to make it a racial thing yeah. because you look at Will Smith in the same city losing his life because a guy got upset, got in a heated argument with him, whether it was a, a fender bender he pulled off or not. All you had to do was write down his license plate and, and, and sure, you would have got, you, you got your justice. But, you know, when you decide to confront somebody and guns are pulled, you know, people's lives were taken. And at the end of the day... In an instant, and no thought. Was Will Smith's life worth taking, no matter if he was wrong or not? Yeah. You know, it's not worth that. You know, a a material car or a dent on a car or a derogatory term shouldn't be punishable by death. Yeah. Listen, uh, our prayers, our thoughts, our well wishes are with uh, Joe McKnight's uh, family and... And, and Conrad friends. too, yeah, man. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Conrad, so um, just guy has late November out of nowhere. From I haven't been following too much. I know he played with the Ravens last year. Yeah, he got in four in, games, but it, yeah, but late November brain aneurysm, and I guess he struggled with that for weeks, and yeah. he loses his life. 29 years old. What, do you, what can you tell us about Conrad sharing a locker room with him? I was always messed with him. I, I, don't, yeah? know, I don't know really what his nationality He looked was. like a surfer, but, man. But, yeah, but because his hair was like that, he had that that, that blonde. Blonde California. He, he had that Ric Flair blonde, yeah? blonde hair, so I always made fun of him, you know, checking him and stuff in practice, talking trash. He wasn't much of a talker, but it was fun. You know, he was a competitor. You know, like I said, what makes you know being teammates so special is when you're physically vulnerable and emotionally vulnerable you find out what people are made of and he was very prideful you know he was always trying to make a play and you know eventually he started giving it back and it was fun fun to be around because of course we always went against each other in practice whether it was blocking or coverage you know and unfortunately man it's just it's just tough because his family he overcame so much you know great education at Stanford come here trying to you know solidify his place in the NFL find a place to you know call home and battling, and this is something that you can't see. This is almost like somebody, you know, dying from a blood clot. Yeah. 
it's, it can happen to any of us. You, you know, and you just never would expect this guy who's like you said, six five, yeah, I should two, two fifty. Uh, uh, I should just make fun uh, of him. Guy looked like taxes. a model coming out of the store. Yeah. Ask, I always tell him, ask him do my, ask him do my taxes, man, because he's from Stanford. <laughs> you know, tell me he's too smart to play football. What do you think about you? Did he just get? He gets some uh, laughter. People, people always take me to grain, so they understand. <laughs> I mean, you know, if I'm if I'm making fun of you, if I'm messing with you, that's because I like you. Yeah. If I don't say nothing to you, or don't acknowledge you, then 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 you should be concerned because that means I don't mess with you. You mentioned Mark Sanchez before. You just spent some time with yeah, him. Mark How is Mark doing? He went to Mission Viejo High School with Conrad Ruin. He played here with Yeah, him. they played basketball. They're they on the same you know, youth basketball yeah. team. He went and saw him before he passed. Childhood friends. And then, like you mentioned, Joe McKnight was a teammate of his. And, and uh, So how how is Mark doing? He's taking it tough. you know. Um, but he's recently just had a, uh, his first child. Oh, really? You know, so I'm excited about that. And I told him, welcome to fatherhood. That's a special thing. Um, and I know he's excited about that, so that's a good thing. But um, it's tough for him on a personal level because you know he had a far more intimate relationship with Conrad than than, than I had, um, and it's just tough because he's losing people, and it always makes you face to face with your your own immortality or your own mortality. You know, knowing that you know people think that they see us on TV that we're indestructible, but. You know, the same things that we that happens to, to the general public happens to us as well. Do you feel fortunate, though, that you've established such a brotherhood with not just the, this franchise here and, and the people who were your teammates and things like that, but down in Baltimore? Do you feel uh, fortunate that you have such tight bonds with people? Like, I do. People were asking me the other day, like, oh, I didn't realize Bart knew Conrad. And I'm like, yeah, they were teammates. But people don't realize to the extent because you're you really like to reach out to people yeah i mean i always always make it my business i mean i just did a financial literacy program at san francisco four of those guys got my phone numbers they called me yeah and and they're looking for advice because i represent what they want to become what they feel like they can accomplish you know there were you know younger guys early in their career trying to find their way i walked that path and maybe they can lean on me and and figure some things out you know and I, i look at it as any time my, my, my path crosses with somebody else's because God ordained it to happen. So I, I never disrespect the process, and I'm always willing to be a vessel to help. You know, if you're willing to help yourself, I'm willing to help. And, you know, that's just how I was raised. That's how I've always been. And by that way, the byproduct of that is you get some strong bonds and some strong relationships. You know, Jamil McLean, uh, Adelius Thomas, you know, Ed Reed, um, Edgar Jones, you know, Ray Rice, um, T. Sizzle, of course. You know, these, these are guys like that I can call it in a pinch. Yeah. You know, it's it's not, you know, just one of those things. You can go David Harris, Calvin, DeBrickershaw Ferguson. Uh, you can go Brandon Moore. These are guys that, you know, we still spend time with each other. You know, a bunch of those guys just came. Ed Hartwell just came from Atlanta to my wife's birthday party. You know, Brandon Moore was there as well. So, uh, you know, you get support and you, you, you get back what you what you put out. And I think when people are around me and they, they get past the bravado or the, the loud words, they understand that it's a genuine person behind there. And um, I'll do anything for a teammate. And it's not, you know, if Conrad, you know, the same thing I just did for Joe and try to support and help as much as I can. If Conrad family needs that, I'm right there for him too. Yeah. So, again, prayers uh, go out to uh, Joe's family uh, and Conrad's family as they try to move on. I don't think you're ever the same. We've we've lost loved ones. Both of us have had 
things happen. People close to us uh, have gone, and I don't think when you I lose somebody, you die with them. Yeah, yeah. And all we can do is uh, try to remember and then honor honor uh, their memory with our life. Yeah, and the way we do we choose to live our life. That that's well said. Um, it feels rather trivial, but I, I want to talk about the current team real quick. Absolutely. Do you like the way uh, the Jets respond in San Francisco? I know it's a one and eleven team. I know people at home are saying, "I mean, you know, uh, we want a draft pick, all this other stuff." Bart, but they could have packed it in at fourteen nothing because it, those first five minutes look like here we go. It, they, it, they it looked like an extension they, of the Indianapolis game. Yeah, they they didn't have to respond. They could have blamed it on travel, um, short week. You know, tired legs from Monday night, whatever they wanted to yeah. say. You know, but they they decided to say, you know what, we're gonna we can do something about it. Let's do it, and it's gonna start one play at a time. And I've been part of a six and ten, you know, Ravens team. The next year we were we were we were thirteen and three, because you know we learned something about some people that we didn't expect. You don't really know how a player is gonna respond or react until you put them into pressure. And you put him out there. You say, hey, you know, some guys practice like crap. Like, man, this guy can't play. You put him out there, the lights turn on, and they get bigger. They play bigger. Some guys get in front of the lights, and they play smaller. You know, and that's, this is how you find out who's going to dare to be great. Who can I count on? Because anybody can be a front runner and play and hustle when, when it's something on the line. But when you really have nothing to play for but playing for pride and respect for the, the name on the back of the jersey and the name in the front of the jersey, you find out a lot about people. What can you say about 2-9? He's a fan favorite. He was uh, one of your teammates. Guy's been here, uh, I think this is his sixth season already, which is amazing. Could be almost his seventh because I've been retired four years. Right. And he was here two years. Yeah, this is probably his sixth going on his seventh. You know, he's starting to look like the film that I saw in Louisville. You know, Louisville, he, he, he played a lot faster than he played his first couple of years, I think, because he was trying to figure it out. But I think now he's confident in what he's doing, confident in his abilities, and you see him playing so much faster and making plays. He's always been tremendous in, 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 in being a pass protector, which is a, which is a skill set. It's a set. tough job that yeah, nobody which, wants to do, which, frankly. Which, which is and nobody set. does in college anymore. Right, which is a skill set that a lot of people don't sign up for. But he does it. He's, a, he's not just a willing. He's a great, you know, um, uh, blitz pickup guy, you know, chipper, and he makes he makes big plays. He makes big plays, and we've had a couple guys like that that come in and spots and make big plays, whether it was Leon Washington, whether it was Brad, you know, Brad Smith, whether it was Joe McKnight. We had guys that come in like that, and he's moving into that realm where he comes in and he leaves an imprint in the game no matter how many plays he gets. Underrated explosion. Guy averages more than five yards per carry, and also – He's got 42 receptions, so that means he's the third leading receiver on this team, fifth amongst running backs in the AFC in terms of reception. So just seems to me anytime you get Bilal Powell to football, yeah. good things are going to happen. Exactly. He's not a self-promoter. You know, then that's why, because he doesn't bang his on his chest. That's what I wanted does. to ask you is that uh, he's quiet. He's did quiet. you love him as a teammate? He's because quiet. he's like, hey, whenever they call my number, I just want to be ready for my guys. He's quiet, man. He steps up. He... He walks quiet, but he carries a big stick. What do you think about Petty? Bryce Petty makes his second career start against San Francisco. He has his ups and downs. Jets uh, couldn't manufacture too much offense early, but when the game's on the line, he makes a few plays, and, and, and they win the ballgame. Teachable moments, and that's all I can say. You look at the family, look at teachable moments. He wasn't reluctant to pull the trigger. That was a good thing. Could be a bad thing, <laughs> but in this instance, it was a good thing because he made plays. Love his toughness on a two-point conversion play, running through a tackle. 
not being denied. Yeah. Running through a pretty good defender and also, you know, doing whatever he had to do to get in the end zone to get the points. Um, are you encouraged by what you're seeing from some of these young guys? Austin Severian Jenkins, we did a film breakdown on, on him today, and that will be up on NewYorkJets.com uh, throughout the week, so you can check that out. Yeah, Robbie Here, Anderson. Here's, here's a big tight end. Robbie Anderson continues to thrive. He's Bryce Petty's number one target right now. He's 99 yards reception against San Francisco. A guy like Brandon Shell might step in and play right tackle. Breno Giacomini's on IR. Brent Qualley went down. You might see a guy who's your fifth-round pick, Brandon Shell, start this week. On the other side of the ball, um, Todd Bowles said this week that he thought uh, Darren Lee was a little too hype early in the game. He took he took him out of the game. I've been there. And, and put him back in. I've been and, there. And he said, hey, listen, you're going to learn from it. Jordan Jenkins, a rookie outside linebacker from uh, Georgia, uh, came up with his uh, first career half sack. He made some plays out there. Um, you're seeing him set the edge more. He's having some teachable moments out there. I'm not saying it's all we, perfect. But we all do. It's not about that. See, a veteran is a veteran not because he hasn't made the mistakes. He's a veteran because he's made all the mistakes and he's learned from them. Yeah. And you can get those mistakes in practice or you can get them in the game. But as long as you learn from it and, and promise that yourself that you're not going to make the same mistakes, you're going to have growth. And I'm really excited to see um, Justin Burris again this week because he played well against the 49ers. Mm-hmm. Fourth-round pick out of NC State. Was used primarily on special teams early this year. Big, physical, stout guy. Mm-hmm. That's not what you usually, <laughs> that's not what you usually see out of cornerbacks first coming out, but he's got a nice build on him. I like the way he plays. Let me tell you what. Singletary told me a long time ago, greatness comes in every shape and size. Yeah. For every Hall of Famer that's tall and a physical specimen, I can show you an equally small one. Really want to talk about Sam Mills, Singletary. You want to talk about guys like that, Barry Sanders, guys that wasn't prototypical. I can show you your big Jim Browns, your O.J. Simpsons. Greatness comes in every shape and size. All right, and finally, last time Matt Moore made a start at MetLife Stadium against the Jets was 2011. You were on that team, a 24-6 win. You shut him down. Uh, Darrell Reeves had two interceptions, including a 100-yard return for a touchdown. And on that play, old number 57 was actually rushing the passer. Well, rushing the passer slash taking the tight end slash whatever. And then after Darrell made the interception, he was in coverage on Brandon Marshall there, ironically. Hmm. Uh, number 57 went looking for whom? Yeah, Richie Incognito, arch nemesis. I try and fight him wherever he is. Whether he's at the Rams, I try and fight him. Buffalo, I try and fight him. You know, some guys you got guys that just rub you the wrong way. I respect him as a football player. Didn't respect some of the things that he did. Since now, his second chance, I've seen that he's matured a lot. Yeah. So maybe I give him a second chance. I won't swing on him. <laughs> but is there a? Were there any other guys other than Richie that you considered your arch nemesis? Because uh, uh, Heinz Ward, everybody knew how Heinz, me and Heinz Ward. That's had right. A, had a thing. Those were the two, right? Yep, those were the two. I didn't have much experience with playing people, but those two were definitely going that list. Well, that's Bart Scott. We're out.